Welcome to another episode of Ask Canadian 6. We are joined by the one and only Harmon Candola from Edmonton, Canada. How are you doing, Harmon? Doing wonderful. Happy to be back. You're going to be coming to visit us soon in Brampton. Taking an ultra-low-cost carrier. Very excited. Uh, so you can all you can pack is your butwa, right? That's right. That's right. Bring it okay. myself. We... Awesome. We have a national board meeting coming up for the World Sick Organization. So all of our heavy hitters from all of our regions are going to be here. I'm very excited to sit down with those folks and hopefully we can share <clears throat> some of what we talk about and some of what we've got planned for, for our next year. Um, in this episode, we are going to talk about Chinese spy balloons. We are going to talk about 1 billion rising as it's February we're going to talk about um, the anniversary of the mosque shooting in Quebec. We're going to share a personal loss for the WSO family and for the country. And then finally, we are going to talk about the reaction to the special representative combating Islamophobia, Amira El Gaboy. Um, never a dull moment. Um, so let's get started. First things first, there is this balloon. And it has uh, made quite waves. It's the Chinese version of the story is that it's a weather balloon that went astray. And to be honest, when I first heard about this story, I thought it was an American story. I heard about it through American media. Um, it's uh, why won't Joe Biden shoot down this balloon? Everyone's being critical of everyone else. These like cartoonish reactions. There were weather balloons that went astray under Trump. Um, the Republicans are like, what's in there? There's another Chinese virus. Why won't he shoot it down? But also there's a virus in the balloon. Um, and then I realized that the balloon, when they were talking about the, tra the trajectory of the balloon, it was in Alaska. And then it got shot down in the mainland in the United States I was like, oh, that balloon went through Canada. And it has been a very interesting response looking at the Canadian response versus the American response. Honestly, I don't know what the sick perspective is on this balloon, but I'm just really happy to talk about it because I thought it was such a hilarious story and I thought it was such a contrast. I think the entire Canadian reaction was like, our uh, our minister of defense Anita Anand like put out a statement that was like, "Yep, the the balloon also violated Canadian airspace," and that was pretty much it. Herman, what do you make of the reaction? The American reaction, the Canadian reaction. What do you think was in the balloon? Any any interesting thoughts on this balloon? I look at this and say that here's another example of Canada not understanding or even appreciating the fact that foreign um, surveillance is happening of this country. Oh, there's the sick perspective. Yes, yes. Okay, go. That, you know, there's just even, a, we can't even stop a physical balloon from floating over top of us. And nobody in Canada even seemed to notice. None of our agencies seemed to notice. It was only when it went from Alaska and then entered back into the mainland USA was this a story. So as it drifted over Canada, we had no idea. Um, and it just goes to show you how little Canadian sources and intelligence knows about foreign interference. We all know um, that there are foreign agents in this country who are surveilling 
communities and populations, including the Sikh community. And again, the broader population has no idea. I think this, like, yeah, okay, so there, there's the Sikh angle, and I think it's so important to name that. I don't know if Canada is more unaware of foreign interference or if it's that they don't care. Um, so we saw a pretty great example of a town member of parliament from uh, Scarborough who recently made a speech and talked about Sri Lanka and independence and how corrupt Sri Lanka is as a country. Um, talked about the genocide against Tamil folks and how, in very strong words, spoke about how Canada should uh, condemn Sri Lanka and, and what they're doing and their human rights violations. No, we know when countries are doing things that aren't good, when they're coming after their own people, when there's genocide and violence. We see examples of members of parliament who are able to stick up for their own communities and don't see that as being... Um, in conflict with their role as a member of parliament and actually represent their riding, but also they bring their uh, identity into into what they do. I don't think that Canada's ignorance on foreign interference is is like laziness or apathy or we just don't know enough. I think it's that we know and and we don't do as much. I can't imagine a world in where India, such a strong multi-billion dollar trading partner, would be treated with the same lens and with the same amount of scrutiny. And we see a lot of parallels of foreign interference with China. And I can't imagine a world in which Canada takes a strong stance with China. We, we watch the whole Huawei thing go down, but really that's that it's just not there. And it's not because we don't know what's going on. Okay, let's go moving on. Uh, One billion rising. So it is February. We every year in February, World Sick Organization creates packages across the country to participate in the One Billion Rising. So that One Billion Rising is a larger organization, and that term, that number One Billion, refers to the UN statistic that one in three women will be raped or beaten in her lifetime. One in three women, or approximately one billion. And so that one billion and that number is increasing. Um, and to, to me, the one billion rising is also those one billion women coming up. This is a fantastic initiative. Make sure you follow us on social media. It gives us a chance to be proactive. It gives us a chance. Uh, so much of the work that we do is in response to something this is one of those things where it's not like, okay, Khalistan is in the media and we need to formulate a response. All of a sudden we're scrambling and we're doing all of this work. This is something that we do every year, something that's a little bit more proactive. And we have folks across the regions um, who, who make these packages and deliver them to women in shelters. Um, Harmon, the Edmonton team, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling about One Billion Rising this year? Yeah, you know what, um, it's coming together pretty late, um, but I think, you know, as always, we're really excited to, around this initiative, it's one of those that um, the World Sick Organization uh, participates in that I, I think, um, you know, people, especially volunteers, really um, understand and, and want to be part of it. So there's a lot of enthusiasm from the team to, to kind of get get another um, set of packages out uh, to, to those who, 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 you know, need them. Uh, I think um, we have folks who, in Ontario, we have so many um, different ways that people contribute. So again, if you, you 
keep an eye out. If you missed it this year, you can jump in next year. But you can contribute money. You can contribute um, actual donations. We have people who give dental kits. We have people who give soap. We have um, people who give like Avon stuff. Um, you can, if you don't have money um, or or some, some, something to give, you can donate your time so people come together to make these kits. Um, we have classrooms where students create cards that go in all of the kits. So it's it's really, really fantastic. And it gives us a chance to, to go out into the community and to build relationships with those people. Um, I think one of the really cool things is that I've seen is people from across generations uh, learning how to do these things. So, you know, kids putting menstrual products into kits and understanding what those are. Uh, it's a venue to have conversations with some of those young folks about why people end up in these situations. It's a way to talk about giving and you end up being able to build relationships and do some, some really cool work. And uh, honestly, I hope it's something that we, we like gear all this out and eventually and all the violence and it's not something that we do year over year but while we are also advocating for those larger structural changes while we are still running sick family helpline while we are still fighting the patriarchy we do these things as well which is just a lot of validation and a lot of care um on a little bit more of a somber note and on a personal note we experienced a bit of a loss uh, here at World Sick Organization. Harmony, can I ask you to share with everyone who's listening a little bit about Just Precinct? Yeah, so Just Precinct Pandere uh, passed away in on January 20th, 2023. Uh, Just Precinct was, you know, a young man who grew up in Mill Woods here in Edmonton. And, you know, many people know him from his time and his home away from home, which was Ottawa and on Parliament Hill. Uh, a kid, you know, who, who described himself as just a dream of a farmer from Punjab, you know, always optimistic, someone who was always energetic and um, impressed people with his knowledge of history and his wit. Uh, Jaspreet, I I knew and I came to know him, um, you know, when he was still just a teenager during my involvement with the University of Alberta Six Students uh, Society. And he was an eager volunteer. He had ultimately went on to take a leadership role with that organization. He was the president of the SSA uh, for a bit. Uh, but then he was part of our initial batch and our initial uh, Sikh Youth Leadership Institute uh, uh, group. So, you know, when we first had come up with the uh, concept of the Sikh Youth Leadership Institute, so many of us have been doing work in our communities locally and found that we needed to f find a way to encourage and develop skills of leadership in, in young people. And the first person that I thought of from Edmonton that we, we would make part of that inaugural group was, um, as we used to call him, Pandy, uh, Jaspan there. And av after that, he was an integral part of every single iteration of the Sikh Youth Leadership Institute. And so many young people were, be, were able to be guided by him. His tour of Ottawa was absolutely, um, you know, epic. His knowledge of Ottawa, his knowledge of uh, the institutions there. And then he went on to get involved in politics, and he worked on many campaigns here locally and then ultimately um, worked, worked, um, and worked on some liberal campaigns, found himself working for the prime minister. But he was always still 
mindful of being a Sikh first, mindful of, you know, um, his identity as part of the Panth. He always embodied the ideals of Panth before politics. Um, his love of Punjabi folk culture, you know, one of the things, and amazingly, you know, we all reminisced about this, is his love for Babuman, <laughs> his, his, his absolute... Um, uh, despising of Hans Raj Hans and it's a massive loss you know someone who's contributed so much in such a short age uh, he passed away uh, at the young age of 32 but he made so many of, so many of us so proud able to do things like share with folks through Sikh Youth Leadership Institute we in turn are changed by all of our alumni and the contributions they continue to give to WSO as well as to the community. So uh, we did share about him on social media. If you want to learn a little bit more, uh, the Prime Minister shared about him on social media as well. Uh, our condolences to his family, our condolences to the community. It's a, it's a loss for everyone when someone lives a good life and the, their goodness ripples out into the world. Definitely a huge hit. Um, another, um, another big loss, um, we, uh, recently saw the sixth anniversary of the Quebec City mosque shooting pass, and this was a couple weeks ago, and this was, uh, to commemorate, or not to commemorate, to, to observe, uh, the six years of passing since 2017 when a gunman walked into Quebec City's Islamic Cultural Center after an evening prayer and shot six Muslim men dead. Um, it was interesting. We saw a lot of politicians come out. We, uh, notably, some politicians were missing. And it uh, highlighted that we still very much live in a time of Islamophobia. Um, what's the connection here? Like, what did you... what? What do you see about this? I, I know the answers for me. I'll get to those in a second. But what do you? What are the parallels you see here with the Sikh community? What are the lessons learned? Why is this a time to be critical of politicians alongside a time to be somber and remember? So for me, uh, just pretty when I look at this, you know, you, look, you think about and you mentioned in Islamophobia. Um, Canada has the highest number of deaths related to Islamophobia in all of the G7 uh, nations. And for so many they have to be reminded that Islamophobia is real uh, and that it's gendered. And in, in a lot of ways, you know, when you talk to the, the Muslim community and you look at Bill 21, um, you know, and in, in where so many people see Muslim women in a headscarf as a threat and want to minimize their visibility by clamping down on that freedom. And so much, and, and you see so much of the rhetoric in our in society that demonizes um muslims and in particular muslim women and that hate and those narratives you know have to be pushed back on and i think for us as six you know what we saw when um you know the appointee uh from trudeau to counter um islamophobia when you have you know comments that she made that a majority of quebecers appear to be swayed not by the rule of law but by anti-muslim sentiment I, I'm not sure I, I, I think she should have ever apologized for this statement. Um, no, not at, given that we at know at that so yeah, many sorry, Quebecers but... continue to support Bill 21. And 
the fact that you know she went down and, and clarified, I know that there was pressure on her from from some of the um, survivors uh, of the mass shooting, and they had asked her to apologize because they were concerned about some of the progress that had, been, had made on, on combating Islamophobia uh, would would be lost, and that they would potentially face some some backlash. And so, you know, communities, minority communities in this country are are being being put, forced to to step back because. We're saying that Quebecers aren't willing to be swayed by the rule of law. I think we yeah. there's a fundamental I, difference then that we have when it comes to interpreting our basic um, constitutional rights and, and freedoms. If if people don't believe that Bill 21 is offensive to Canadian rule of law. And so, you know, I, from a sick perspective, you always tie into this, you know, kind of what is happening in Quebec and in particular Bill 21 and the, the continued fight um, against it, uh, and, and seeing, you know, what what was a position uh, and the first special representative on combating Islamophobia have to apologize for these types of remarks, um, you know, it, it, it's it's difficult because even in, in, you know, 2023, you still have to temper your comments so that you don't offend the majority, even though um, we know that people have been targeted uh you know, with killings and shootings uh, for looking different. When I first read that story about the special representative, I didn't understand what I was reading. So when uh, it says that she is anti-Bill 21 and she's critical of Quebec and Bill 21 is racist, I thought, yes. And then they were like, well, she's the, uh, she's the, special representative on combating Islamophobia. And then I thought, okay, so it's literally her job to be combating Islamophobia and Bill 21 is Islamophobic. I don't understand what the issue is here. I was truly surprised, truly surprised at, um, I, I, I really don't understand the context of Quebec. And I think maybe that's part of how we got here and, and, I think she was very graceful. I don't think she needed to apologize, but in her apology, I saw a lot of grace. And she talked about not stereotyping people and um, lending Quebec the same respect that she was demanding in turn and not categorizing all people in Quebec, um, I, I, like painting them all with the same brushstroke. And I think that was a moment of humility for me because I truly don't understand how you can be from Quebec, how you can be pro-Bill 21. And when someone says that's racist and that's Islamophobic, that you can you can clutch your pearls and say um, you should be removed from your position. That uh, so definitely uh, we saw Quebec for what it was in that moment: a powerful woman of color, a powerful hijab-wearing Muslim woman, saying that Bill Twenty One is not okay, and being told that she needed to apologize for the way she said that. That was that was truly hurtful. But also generally, um, with the with observing the six years of the mosque shooting, I think it was really telling that uh, Quebec politicians weren't there. And I also think um, the many parallel experiences we have, there are such unique experiences to being a Muslim Canadian, and we will never fully understand all of them. But there are a lot of parallels. Both of our communities are impacted by Bill 21. Both of our communities are impacted by Islamophobia. Um, Sikhs are misunderstood to be Muslims, shot and killed for those things. Um, it, it's interesting to be a, a group of Canadians that experiences Islamophobia that's not Muslim. It does 
mean that I have a lot more empathy um, for the Muslim community and I will strive to make sure that they are able to fully express themselves as well. What one of the things that is really, really pops out to me is that uh, both communities become targets of hypersecurity measures, can't go through an airport, can't swear in for your Canadian citizenship ceremony, can't, uh, you're always seen as a threat, like what are you hiding, lift your hijab, show your face, take off your bug, take your ears out, um, and the threat is actually on people who are radicalized to the right, the threat is in white supremacy, the threat is the family in London getting uh, driven by a car or driven over by a car and being killed. It's someone going into a mosque and shooting people. Um, and it's very disheartening to be in that place of paradox where you are both the community that is the object, the subject of violence and the community that's under scrutiny as being the terrorist. That's, that's really hard. The facts don't match up. Whenever we are treated with fear, whenever we are treated with heightened security, doesn't actually come from a place of facts. The facts that we see and the violence that we experience are not actually confronted with anything real. I, I don't know that we're in a better place than we were six years ago when that shooting happened. So that's everything for today. We, uh, for Harmon and I, we do have a little bit of a new format. So every podcast episode, you're going to get to hear an interview with a new person. So we will leave you here and you'll get to listen to the rest of the podcast with um, one of our new folks who's going to be doing the interview and you'll get to listen to a new interview every month. So please stay on after we wrap up. Please follow World Sick Organization on every social media platform. We are at World Sick Org. And please consider donating, becoming a The Swan Club member, checking out One Billion Rising, donating time, money, energy, products, whatever it is that you can. If you see something you like, please remember we are an organization of volunteers and we can't do this without you. So stay on, listen to the interview and until we meet again, um, I'm Maclean Gore and I'm here with Manveer Gorpangu, who is the founder and executive director of Laudlia. Thank you, Manveer, for um, joining us and speaking with us today. I'm really looking forward to the conversation um, we're about to have. I've, I've definitely been following Laudlia for some time, and it is just so exciting to get to know more from the founder and executive director of Laudlia. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, my, I think the first place to start, which I think everyone would like to know, is... What, who is Laudlia? What is Laudlia? What, you know, Im encouraged the start of Laudlia? Thank you so much, Magdalene, for having me. Um, what is Laudlia? Okay, so um, Laudlia is, is honestly something that we needed a long time ago in our community. Um, Laudlia started as um, kind of my attempt at talking about issues that nobody was really talking about when it comes to issues related to gender equity within our community specifically. Um, so it started off as a Facebook page, which um, slowly, you know, now has grown into an incorporated nonprofit organization operating across Canada uh, and slowly, um, you know, hopefully uh, across other parts of the world as well. Um, essentially, if you boil it down to, you know, in, in one line, 
what we do at Laglian. We empower daughters of all ages. We empower them to become, you know, um, we, we want them to become empowered individuals through education, awareness, and engagement. And we do that through quite a few different programs that we've created. And I think one of the best things about Laglia is it focuses on creating a network of sisterhood, specifically for those girls and women who don't have that at home or who don't have that in their community. Um, and one thing that I've noticed um, particularly is a lot of the older daughters in, in a family are attracted to Laglia. I am also an older daughter, and I wonder if, you know, we are craving something that we really didn't have when we were growing up, which is that older sister or that older, you know, that adult ally in the community who can help us, guide us, you know, help us navigate um, academics, uh, social circles, career paths, and all of those things. And um, what Laglia really does every single day is, you know, talk about issues that impact um, the disparities that we see when it comes to sons versus daughters in our community. Um, and we do that through very, you know, a meaningful community engagement. That is amazing. I am also one of the or the oldest daughter um, in my in my house and um, the only daughter as well. So I get it with the whole, mm -hmm. you know, wanting that older sister perspective. And um, that is beautiful. And do you want to touch on what Laudlia, the word uh, means? I think it has a very beautiful meaning. It absolutely does. So Laudlia, although there's no direct translation in English, but Laudlia is a Punjabi term for daughters or loving daughters and of, of course it's plural so the singular form is lagli and the name actually comes from my mother who was the one who suggested that I call it laglia because um, I have a sister and she's always referred to us as her laglia and I think it's so nice to know that the name is the first thing that really touches people's hearts when they when we talk about our work and I remember earlier on this organization started in 2013 but long time ago someone you know told me oh you should change the name it's not going to resonate with the non- the non-Punjabis and I said no they can learn to say it you know and it's really not meant for the non-Punjabis it's meant for those <laughs> who need this kind of work in our community so yeah thank you thank you for asking about the origins of yeah <laughs> of course um yeah and speaking of the community so you did touch on domestic violence and gender-based violence in the Punjabi community which um like World Sick Organization as well we we do have our one billion rising initiative um that happens in February um, which kind of was based on the statistic that one in three women will face um, some form of abuse in their lifetime. So it's it's a, basically a call to action. Mm -hmm. um, and then the the initiative pretty much happens all across Canada and multiple cities. And care packages are made um, to be delivered to women's shelters for Valentine's Day, just in a way to show to show some sort of love and support. Which it's a very close organization or initiative. Sorry to my to my heart is what introduced me to world sick organization um so let's touch a bit on on Laudlian's work with domestic violence in the Punjabi community if you want to speak on that for sure I think you know along with a lot of other topics that we just shy away from talking about in our community domestic violence is one of those heavy looming you know topics that just we've seen that you know in our own families we've seen it in our own communities with our friends with our aunts maybe with our moms our grandmothers with our sisters um but yet nobody's willing to have an open conversation about it and i think that's the beauty of the work that we've done through lagia is that we've really created a platform for people to openly have these conversations in a safe space you know in a space where 
um, people can ask questions in a space where people can start to identify signs and symptoms and and resources that are available because within within our community, you know, it, it's a taboo topic, just like, um, for example, sexual health or menstrual health, all of these other uh, topics that we know happen, but we don't want to talk about. What's really unique about the Punjabi community is, you know, on the outside, when we look at, um, if we if we take a step back and we look at the community as a whole, um, you know, it's a successful community, it's a model minority, it's, um, mm-hmm. we've got the houses, you know, we've got the cars, our kids go to the universities, we look great. But the deeper that you look into someone's home or into someone's family, you can see how broken families really are. Mm-hmm. And the stigma that comes with being labeled the family, you know, if, if a woman was to stand up and say, I'm being abused, and I'm leaving, you know, the stigma that's attached to that uh, and divorce or even just accessing support or resources or getting other people involved, you know, we don't we don't air our dirty laundry. So that is something that, you know, we've just kind of taken very um, uh, simple steps to just start talking about the issue. And we've done that through uh, community consultations, which has been just so, um, you know, and it's a very sensitive topic, but it's been so nice to know that people want to talk about it and there are enough people who care about it. Um, so we we were able to get some funding from YWCA two years ago. Uh, and the timing was really interesting because it was right when the pandemic was starting. And I know with the pandemic, the rates of domestic violence have also gone up. Um, and, you know, we, we consulted our community on like, you know, what are you seeing? Like, what have you heard? And Unfortunately, everybody we spoke to had some experience with gender-based violence or, or domestic mm-hmm. violence. And that's really alarming. And, you know, we we can keep having the conversations, but we really need to think about as a community, are we just, are we not taking action to end it? Or, are you know, we all know it's happening. We can never shy away from it. Um, you know, we can, we can ignore it all we want, but we eventually it's going to catch up to us. And we know that it's going to impact us at a larger scale one day. Absolutely. I love how you mentioned COVID as well, because or the pandemic, because that did make a big um, difference in in the rates and the statistics jumping up, um, which which kind of gives that perfect opportunity for us to kind of step in and be like this. This is a real problem. And now that folks have been staying home, we need to kind of recognize the issue instead of letting it grow. It gives us that space and that opportunity, which um, is awesome that Ladna is tackling such such um, a taboo topic which definitely wasn't spoken about for so long and I see that you you uh, folks do BG and me um, events so BG being grandmother and and me and I love that there's that connection with um, with the older generations with the younger generations now so that those conversations that we may not have the opportunities to have um, or the older generation didn't have the opportunity to have and to speak out with the, they're kind of given that space as well now because we do carry that trauma with us regardless of um, regardless of your age yeah. Um, yeah and I think one of the really important things to think about is you know it's so normalized gender-based violence or domestic violence is normalized to a certain extent within the older generations in our community and I think that intergenerational piece is so important to start to um, kind of unlearn a lot of the things that we think are okay as a community and start to think this is how it impacts, you know, um, this age group or this is how it impacts um, young children and how families pass that trauma on to each generation. And I think we're not thinking about that right now. Um, so as you know, as a result, we did create a toolkit, which people can access on our website. Um, 
And it's just a very simplified, you know, gender-based violence one, 101 toolkit to really tell you this, this is what gender-based violence looks like. This is where you can access resources. This is how you can help someone who may be going through gender-based violence and really encouraging people to seek support. Mm, uh, that is amazing. Um, uh, is this um, toolkit, is it available in multiple languages or is it primarily English? It is English for now. We are looking at getting it translated into at least Punjabi and Hindi for our community. Um, but we are a smaller nonprofit and our, our capacity is limited. But it's definitely something we are uh, hoping to do within the next year to get it translated um, and just, you know, have that accessible to as many people as possible. Well, that is absolutely amazing to hear. Um, I think that's a resource that's much needed and um, kind of reassuring and encouraging towards the community to know that you know we're starting now and we're not we're not continuing this taboo we were that conversation is starting in a in a grander level which is very very heartwarming um and exciting for the community i'm unfortunate that it's needed but yeah um well manveer thank you so much for opening up about laudlia speaking on it and um well, finding it and being the executive director for it, it is definitely a needed organization. Um, thank you for speaking with me for the past little bit. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you.